Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Hey, so we are walking through the book of Acts. I'm sure that you've been here. And uh, so what I want to do is I want to walk us through the beginning or, or the Acts chapter 13. Pastor Scott started in Acts 13 last week. And I want to pick up where he left off and kind of walk you through a passage there in Acts 13. And then I'm kind of going to transition and, and kind of give you some thoughts today. Is that all right? All right, that's what I'm doing anyway. All right, so I want to talk to you about lessons on opposition. Lessons on opposition. As you read through scripture, you will see that over and over again, people opposed the work of the Lord. That over and over again, people opposed the preaching of the word. People opposed uh, when even when people were set free. You may remember, you may remember this, that in Mark chapter 5... The Bible says that a demon-possessed man, that Jesus shows up and there was a demon-possessed man that could not be bound even with chains. And if you know the rest of the story, uh, he calls himself Legion, which means there could have been, could have been at least 6,000 uh, demons within him. And that Jesus sets him free and the demons go into the pigs. You remember this story? And then the Bible says that people went into the community to tell about what had happened. And they came to see the demon possessed man. Right. I don't know if I would have made that journey, but they came to see the demon possessed man. And the Bible says that when they got there, they that the demon possessed man was clothed in his right mind. He had been set free by Jesus. And you know what it said? The townspeople were very afraid. This is a demon possessed man that they could not bind even with chains. And now he's set free and they're afraid of him. You know why? Because sometimes people like us the way we were instead of the way we are because they knew what to do with us back then. They don't know what to do with us today. And misery loves company. And they would much rather you still be an addict than you be set free. They would much rather you be in a marriage that's broken like theirs than for you to be healthy and whole. And all throughout scripture, we see that the word of God, the the preaching of the word faced opposition and we're still facing opposition today. So Acts chapter 13. We're going to walk through Acts 13, uh, verse 4 through 12. It says this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about Barnabas here, right? You remember that last week, Pastor Scott began there at the beginning of Acts 13. And we're talking here about Barnabas and about Saul. And it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, sent out by the Holy Spirit. In verse three, we see the church send them out. But here in the very next verse, it says that the Holy Spirit sent them out. This shows us that the church was working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, which is how the church should work. Amen. There is an importance of being sent by both the church 
and the Holy Spirit. It's a cooperative effort, a cooperative work. It's also important to know that being sent by the Holy Spirit doesn't keep us from experiencing opposition, as we'll see later in this chapter. Listen, there are people who will, how many of you, well, there are people who say, God said for me to do this, right? And sometimes it doesn't even line up with the word of God. Listen, if you think God told you to do something and it doesn't line up with this, listen, it wasn't God. And can I just also tell you that the, one of the benefits of being a part of a local church, a, a healthy church, is that when you feel God's prompting you to do something, when you sit down with a pastor or you sit down with an elder or you sit down with somebody in the church that you can share that with, many times they will say, listen, that's a good idea. I that's not in scripture or I, I'm going to pray with you, but I don't feel good about that. Right. Because how many of you know, there are times when we want God to say what we want God to say. Right. In my counseling agency, many times people will come in and talk to me about relationships. And there are times when Christians will come in and talk about relationships and and, and he'll say, I know God wants me to marry this girl. God told me to marry this girl. And I said, well, what do you like about it? Well, she's pretty. Well, that's good. I'm sure God does want you to marry a pretty girl. And I'll say, well, tell me about her faith. Well, she's not a believer. Well, listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know the Bible says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, Right. So, right. But but many times we want to convince ourselves that what we want is what God wants for us. When the truth is what God wants for us is his best and his best is always better than what we think we need. Right. So we need both the church, but we also need the sending of the Holy Spirit. As far as we know, here in Acts chapter 13, this is the first time the church sent people to the uttermost parts of the world. Pastor Scott has said it over and over again. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right? And here we see the church sending people out now to the uttermost parts of the earth. Fulfilling scripture. And, and we need to remember that God is a sender. God is a sender throughout scripture. We see him sending people beginning with Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1 says, now the Lord said to Abram, who he would later change his name to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Why was God sending Abraham? Well, verse three tells us. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Listen, God sends people in order to bless other people. Bless other people with the word of God, with the freedom that comes through Christ Jesus. To bless others so that others can know Christ like we know Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Listen to this. This is why he sends people out, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
Can I just tell you the heart of God is that none would perish and he will do whatever he has to do to reach them, including sending Abraham or sending me or you. Why? Because he's a father who has a heart for his children. About 10 years ago, our youngest, Madeline, she's 13 today. When she was three years, I didn't tell I was going to share this story. So y'all tell me if she's scowling. So Madeline, when she was three years old, we went to San Antonio and we were down on the river walk and we took one of those boat tours down the river walk, you know. And when we got back uh, from the tour, there was this wall there and there were a bunch of people going out at the same time. And when we got past the wall and we make sure that we have everybody, we realized Madeline is not there. And you know how it is on the river walk. There's no boundary between the sidewalk and the river. And we start looking and we can't find Madeline anywhere. Well, what had happened was Madeline got in the shuffle and she got out before we did. And so she thought that she had lost us. And so she starts running as fast as those three year old little legs would take her in the opposite direction of us. Can I tell you, when I look up and I see that she's all the way down there, there is nothing that as a dad I would not have done in that moment to rescue that child. I literally begin to run as fast as I could, which really isn't that fast. (laughs) I begin to run as fast as I can, as I could, and I begin to holler, stop that child, stop. I'm sure they thought it was like a predator, like, oh, yeah, sure, stop the child. I'm, I'm making a fool of myself. You know why? Because she was worth it. It was worth me making a fool of myself to rescue my child. And the Bible says, if us being earthly parents are evil, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to give good blessings to His children? Can I just tell you? The reason God sent Abraham was that so that none would perish. But he didn't stop at Abraham. In the New Testament, we see God sending Jesus to earth to reach us because God's a sender. Jesus gave his job description in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's what God sent him to do. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission from heaven to reach me and you. And aren't you thankful? But then Jesus sent his disciples because God is a sender. Jesus sent his disciples. We see in John 20, 21. It says, Jesus said to them, peace peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then we see the great commission. That after the crucifixion, Jesus reappears to the disciples there in Matthew chapter 28. And he gives what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Let me just stop here and say this. Though he was speaking to those there, he was also speaking to us here. This is our commission. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And now here in Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit is a sender as he sends out Barnabas and Saul. Can I just tell you, at some point, God wants to turn disciples into apostles. See, a disciple is a follower or a student of someone. But an apostle is a messenger or one who is sent. And I don't know where you are in your faith, but at some point in time, God wants you to go from being a student to being a messenger or a doer. Listen, it's great to come to church, but at some point in time, you got to take it out there. Amen. God wants us to go from being disciples or learners to being apostles, messengers. James chapter one, verse 22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Don't just be a hearer. Don't just continue to be a disciple. At some point in time, you got to transition to be an apostle, to be a carrier of the good news of the gospel. It says, don't be just a hearer, but be a doer, not deceiving yourselves. You know what that means? That means that there are many people who think that because they're around Christians that they are Christians. And that is not true. Think about this. I don't have this on our screen, but let me just read this to you real quick. Matthew chapter 7. It says, watch out, watch out. Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes? From thorn bushes bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who do, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, judgment, Lord, Lord, did, not, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You know who those people are? Those are the people who are around people who were prophesying. Those are the people who are around those who were winning souls. They were around those who were doing the work of the ministry. And because they were around them, they assumed they were just like them. But can I tell you, we're not known by the words of our mouth. We're known by the fruit of our life. Last night for the LSU game, my brothers were texting me, man, man, we had, that was a great play we had. That was a, man, why don't we do, I'm like we, y'all aren't even in Baton Rouge. Right? But you know how it is. You, the saints win. The next day you're talking about, man, we had a great win. We, you're sitting there eating chili dogs on your sofa, seeing how many you can eat, right? Talking about we. And that's what we do in the church. We talk about what we're doing. We're talking about what we're doing. 
Can I just tell you? Don't deceive yourselves. Let's not deceive ourselves by being hearers only and not doers and thinking that we're part of the process. When the truth is we're just part of a chair. We're just taking up a chair. You good? I believe the church has too many hearers and not enough doers. All right, so let's keep going because I think you're getting mad at me. So (laughs) Acts chapter 13. I'll be the shortest lived pastor in Midtown in the history of Midtown. He was here three weeks. He was good. He couldn't run fast, but he was good. (laughs) Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. That's the seaport. It's 16 miles from Antioch. You remember they were in Antioch when they were sent out. So they've gone 16 miles now. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus was actually where Barnabas was from. So then when they arrived at Salamis, this was the largest commercial city on the eastern side of the island of Cyprus. It also had a large Jewish population. Hence where it says that they spoke in synagogues, being plural. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Paul believed that the gospel was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And we actually see this pattern played out throughout the book of Acts. That he would preach in the synagogues and when they wouldn't listen, then he would go to the Gentiles, most of you and I. And the Gentiles were eager to hear the message of the gospel going on. And they had John to assist them when they had gone through the whole island. As far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Borgesus. Borgesus actually meant son of Jesus. But as you will see, he had nothing to do with Jesus at all. In ancient Israel, you couldn't be both a Jew and a sorcerer. It was literally illegal. But here we see Bar-Jesus mixing the true faith with other belief systems. He was combining belief systems, which is called syncretism. Right? When you take some of this faith and some of this faith and some of this faith. Can I just tell you? There is only one faith. And there's a whole lot of people in our culture that are trying to create their own image of God, their own religious system, and they can do all that they want to do. But in the end, they may hear, depart from me, I never knew you, because this is the gospel that we follow. This is the gospel that we follow. I had a friend of mine who was recently sharing something with a friend of his. A friend of his was really in, in some, some, an area of lifestyle that he shouldn't have been in. And my friend is showing him in Scripture the truth of God's Word, and this was his response. I don't care what the Bible said. My pastor said... Listen, if your pastor don't line up with the Word of God, guess who's wrong? Your pastor, right? Not me and Pastor Scott. That's uh, some other pastor. I don't get that wrong. Wrong. It's also true in our culture. Satan uses religion to deceive people more than anything else. Satan uses religion. Can I just tell you? 
a picture of religion, the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ, religion makes it very difficult to get to God. Religion says you've got to jump through this hoop and that hoop and that hoop. We got to approve you and you got to do this and you got to do that. That's what religion says. You know what Jesus says? Romans chapter 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Relationship with Jesus Christ is easy because God wants a relationship with us. Religion makes it difficult to get to God. And Jesus says, listen, declare that I am the son of God that was raised from the dead. And whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So verse 7, he was with the proconsul, which is like the governor. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, right? And if you know about Paul, Paul was a very intelligent person. In Philippians chapter 3, he literally gives his qualifications. And it would basically, when you go read that, he's basically saying, it would be like if you were both related to Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. Like you would be something, right? I mean, that, that's, I mean he, he's intelligent. He comes from incredible lineage. And God sends him to, to speak to Sergius Paulus, who was also a man of intelligence. How many of you know God knows exactly when to send you and who to send? Right? So who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, Elimus and uh, Lord Jesus is the same person. Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Because let me tell you why. If the governor get, gives his heart to Christ, the sorcerer leaves, loses his job. Right? So he's trying to make sure that the proconsul, the, the governor, doesn't listen to Saul and Barnabas. But Saul, who was also called Paul, let me just stop here and give you a little bit of information here. There is a misunderstanding many times when people read the word of God. You know that in the Old Testament, we see that God changed Abram's name to Abraham, right? We see that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And many people believe that when Saul, who was a killer of Christians on the Damascus Road, had an experience with God that at that point God changed his name as well from Saul to Paul. This is not true. And many people, many people um, use that as an example of God giving Saul a new name. That is not true. Okay, so here, here it is. So... Paul, Saul actually had two names. On the eighth day of his birth, when he was circumcised, his parents gave him his Hebrew name, I'm sorry, his, his Hebrew name, Saul. And then the very next day, they gave him his Greek name, which was Paul. Okay, so basically it would be like his mom and dad called him Saul, all his buddies called him Paul. Right, so he was known by both names. Okay, this isn't God changing his name. He was known by both names since his childhood. But Paul, who was also called, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, 
You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So, Lord Jesus, right, meaning son of Jesus, but Paul calls him son of the devil. And this goes back to many people who are labeled Christians by people, but not by God. Right? Verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul, listen to this, the governor believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he heard the teaching and he saw the miracle of Lord Jesus going blind in a moment. And the Bible says that he believed. Can I just tell you once again, God will do whatever it takes to reach us. So I want to talk to you for a few more minutes on the benefits of opposition. Because we're all aware that throughout history for over 2,000 years now, the Christian church and Christians in particular have been persecuted. The Roman Empire, for 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian there in the Roman Empire. Nero was literally feeding Christians to the lions. You know the stories of the Colosseums? Nero was tarring them and literally lighting them on fire. He would take the Christians and he would have them tied to a pole and he would line the streets with Christians and set them on fire to light the street up. That was the persecution that the church was under at this time. The first hundred years of the church, it was against the law to be a Christian. There were different cleansings throughout history and the tortures and the burning at the stake. But can I tell you that persecution is still going on today? Persecution is still going on today. Over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's one in eight Christians worldwide. 4,761 Christians were killed last year for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked last year. There are 4,277 believers that have been detained without a trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Can I just tell you? We need to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Amen? We need to be aware. We need to give. Tara is involved in a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. If you want more information about the persecuted church, you should look up Voice of the Martyrs online. It's a great organization that we give to in order to see the persecuted church around the world get what they need in order to carry out the message of the gospel. There is a guarantee that we see in Scripture. It's right there in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a day of real persecution coming, even for America. Today, we deal with opposition, not necessarily persecution, that we see around the world. 
In other places, they are, fi- they are facing violent oppression, but here we're facing silent repression. They want us to conform. They want us to be quiet, and they just want us to get in line. Right? Listen, our college campuses are a breeding ground for atheism and oppression against young, young people who are believers in Christ Jesus. And we need to begin to pray for the favor of God to be upon our college students as they go into those classrooms and really do face serious oppression. I think about growing up in Acadiana versus now. I think about my mom telling the story of when she was younger and Gone with the Wind was coming to whatever theater Lafayette had. It must have been the Pat or the Nona or something. Some of you old people remember the Pat and the Nona, right? Y'all some old people. And because it had one curse word, right? Exactly. It had one curse word, the word damn, And because of that one curse word, the Knights of Columbus began to picket the theater to keep that movie from coming to Lafayette. Think about how far we've come when last year some of you packed out the chamber there at City Hall to try to oppose drag queens coming in to tell stories to our children in a Catholic community. Think about how far we've come. Think about how far we've come, even here in Acadiana. If you stand for your faith, you will be labeled in this over-sexualized and sexually confused culture that we live in. You will be called a bigot if you simply stand up for the word of God. If you stand, simply proclaim the truth of God's word. And let me just remind you, the Bible tells us to do so with gentleness and kindness. Right? We'll talk about that here in a minute. So here are the benefits of opposition. Number one, it will make you more like Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Many times people leave the faith. I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. I'm getting criticized for my faith. I'm being tempted beyond what I think I can bear. Listen, those are all things that Jesus dealt with. And yet he overcame. And so can we. The religious people worked against Jesus. Why do you have to be so fanatical? They'll say to you. Why do you have to keep talking about your church? Why do you have to keep talking about Jesus? Why do you have to keep talking about the Quit inviting me to Bible study. And maybe some of you today are saying, I've never invited anybody to a Bible study. Well, that's a whole different problem. I've never invited anybody to church. Well, that's a whole different problem. Maybe you're still just a disciple, not an apostle. Jesus was a light and we're called to be a light as well. And remember, whenever you shine the light of the gospel, whenever you shine the light of Christ, light always exposes darkness and people hate that. Because they want to stay in their darkness 
where no one, where they think no one knows their sin. Can I just tell you, just your presence can be convicting the people. When you, when you are where you need to be with God, when you are spending time in the word of God, when you're st- spending time in prayer with God, just your presence is convicting to people. Can I just tell you, listen, I believe in proclaiming the word of God. I believe in, 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 in sharing our faith. I believe, But there are times when you just need to show up and let the Holy Spirit do what he can do. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is always at work. When I opened my counseling center, I don't know, three, four years ago. So Pastor Scott keeps calling me a professional counselor. Don't tell him any different, right? I'm not a professional. I'm not a licensed therapist. I do, I'm a licensed minister, and I do pastoral counseling. And, and because of my connection to so many churches in Acadiana, I thought that when I opened my counseling center, I would just be counseling Christians. But that has not been the case at all. People come in all the time, lost as can be. And I see it as an opportunity. So when they come in, they've got to sign a disclaimer saying they understand that I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm a licensed minister and I do pastoral counseling. So one day this couple comes in. They're probably in their uh, early 40s. And I give them the paperwork and I walk out at just the right time where I see him pointing to the disclaimer and making a frown. And his wife goes, just sign it. (laughs) You know how y'all are. So they come in my office and he's mad at me. I haven't even said a word. He's mad at me. And he goes, so you're not even licensed. I said, no, sir. And I begin to go through my spill. I've been counseling for over 20 years. You know, blah, 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 whatever. The whole time he sits there and doesn't say a word, he just looks at me with anger. I'd ask him a question. He'd go, huh? I was like, if I was your wife, I'd slap you right here. But, but I, that wasn't my counsel in case y'all are thinking about coming to me. That was not my counsel. His wife had one of the most horrific stories I've ever heard in my life. She told me things that she was involved in right here in Lafayette that if I told you, you would know the people, the players, the places. It was bizarre. I, 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 when I know someone comes that is, is there that is not a believer, I don't use scripture in my first appointment. But I pray with everybody. And my feeling is, if I pray with you and you come back, then you know what you're coming back for. Right? So I get to the end of my, uh, my session, and he's literally, I bet he, in one hour he hasn't said ten words. And I said, hey, would you mind if I said a prayer for you? He goes, uh So I literally, I promise you, I prayed the simplest prayer you can ever imagine. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. I'm talking some serious noise. I think he's either having a seizure or manifesting a demon. Seriously. I look up and he's shaking. He's shaking like this. And I say, amen. And the wife goes, what was that? And this is what he said. He said, when I was a little boy, my grandmother would take me to a non-denominational church. And every time I went in that church, every time I went in that church, I felt God all over me. And just now 
I haven't felt that feeling in years, but just now I felt the same thing. Can I tell you what it said to me? It said to me, the Holy Spirit can do more in a 45 second simple prayer than I can do in an hour. It reminded me that the Holy Spirit is always at work. And he knows exactly what we need. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Listen, many Christians think the goal is to fit in. And to be like them to win them. Can I just tell you? God has called us to be different. God has called us to show an example that is different than what they know. The world is looking for something that is authentic. The world is looking for something that is real. The world is looking for something that gives them hope. Don't work at trying to be like them. Work at letting the Holy Spirit use you. Number two, the second benefit of opposition is it will deepen your faith. It'll deepen your faith. Now, listen, if you work out like I do, what y'all laughing at? Oh, really? You know what? I might leave on my own terms. Yep, I left after three weeks. You know, if you go to the gym, okay, really, I don't go to the gym. You know, I, I have gone with Byron. Byron, I did go one time, and he texts me every day, and y'all pray for me. Or pray for Byron that he doesn't have to deal with rejection. You know, some people, they pick out a gym by the, by the snacks in the vending machine. I, I, that's what I'm told. I've never done that. But if you go to a gym and you want to work out and you want to build muscle, it's all about resistance, Right? It's all about resistance because opposition causes growth. And opposition will grow and strengthen our faith. 1 Peter 1.7 These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can I tell you, the Bible says that this is just momentary suffering compared to the glory of heaven. Just this is momentary compared to eternity with Christ. The third reward is it will bring eternal rewards. We see there in Matthew chapter five in the last of the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a reward for those who put themselves out as apostles and are open to opposition and who don't leave the faith. But they're committed to, to, to God regardless of what they walk through. So let me just give you, let me wrap up by just giving you a few thoughts on how to respond to opposition. 
Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you stand up for your faith and you are opposed. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Listen, remember, Jesus told us we would face persecution. Jesus told us we would face trials of many kinds. So don't be surprised. And listen, and don't quit. Don't quit. Surround yourself with other believers. Surround yourself with people who are encouraging you and walking with you. So number one, don't be surprised. Number two, don't be afraid. First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared. Listen to this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Focus on God's perfect love. Listen, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. I I know what it is. To, to deal with fear, right? When you're going to share. One day I got home and Tara was like, hey, I'm going on a prayer walk. You want to go with me? I'm like, well, what's a prayer walk? Well, I'm just going to knock on doors. Now, Tara, I've been a believer a long time longer than Tara. So I'm just going to knock on the doors and pray for our neighbors. I'm like, hey, listen, you go. I'm going to stay here and pray for you as you go pray for them. <laughs> go in Jesus' name, girl. Right? Listen, it's normal that some of you are more outgoing than some of us. Right? Some of you, you don't even, like, I, I deal with some insecurity. I deal with that kind of thing. You don't, you're like, you, some of y'all should deal with some insecurity and you don't. But that's a whole different story, right? So, so you get fearful. Listen, the Bible says that perf- the perfect love of God casts out all fear. You can either worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. Remember Acts chapter 7, when Peter is being stoned? Peter is literally being stoned to death, and the Bible says he looked up to heaven. Where's your focus today? Where's our focus today? Is it on what we're dealing with, or is it on the Savior that has called us and sent us in order to proclaim the truth of the good news? Number three, don't be ashamed. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Can I just tell you? And I know this is a process. And I know some of us are better at this than others. But in the end, really the only person to prove that matters is God. Amen. Can I just tell you there are times when I counsel people that have lived their entire lives to gain their father's or their parents' approval and they still don't have it and they're still working at it and some of their parents have passed away. I get it. I, I, I get it. But can I just tell you, as believers, as disciples or as apostles, as students or messengers... In the end, we need to be concerned about God's approval more than anyone else's. 
Remember Luke 9.26, where Jesus said, If you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. 1 Peter 5.9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by, by your brotherhood throughout the world. Listen, we're not alone in our opposition. We're not alone in our opposition. This is nothing new for the church. And you can make it through this. Number four, recognize the source of your opposition. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, you know it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, we don't wrestle against one another. We don't even wrestle against co-workers or bosses. It's a spiritual war we're battling. It's a spiritual war that we're dealing with. Can I just tell you, Satan always opposes the plan of God. And if the plan of God is for you to go out, he wants to keep you right where you are. He opposes. Listen, if you made a commitment to your spouse, Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's the plan of God for your marriage. He's working against your marriage. If the Bible says me and my household will be saved and God's desires for your children to know Christ, Satan is working against the plan of God in every area of your life. Number five, refuse to retaliate. Romans chapter 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Can I just tell you, you're never more like Jesus than when you're opposed and you simply love and pray instead of retaliating. Our Savior hung on a cross for you and I. And the Bible says that he could have taken charge. And yet he endured the opposition. He endured the persecution. He endured the cross. So that all might come to salvation. Listen, I don't know what opposition you're dealing with. Maybe on your job or in your neighborhood or maybe your own family. Can I just tell you, don't be surprised. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what God's called you to do. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. Would you bow your heads? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Everyone, your heads bow, your eyes closed. No one's looking around. Maybe you're here today. As we talk about opposition to faith and we talk about what God has called us to, and, and maybe even when, when I read from Matthew 7 and we talked about we're not known by the words of our mouth but the fruit of our life, maybe you're examining what your life is producing and you know that it doesn't line up with what God has for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ. You've never literally simply given him the steering wheel of your life. You've never said yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're here today and you've never done that. Listen, the Bible says that today is a day of salvation. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. You're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ. Or you're here today and you just say, I don't think the fruit of my life lines up with God's word and I've got to do something about it. I'm going to ask you here in just a moment when I say three to just put your hand up and put it right back down so that we can pray for you. One, listen, don't worry about who's here. What this one thinks or that one thinks, none of that matters today. The only thing that matters in this moment is that Jesus is here and he wants a relationship with you. Two, God forbid, but any one of us could leave this auditorium and face God today. The question is, are you ready to face God? The better question really is, do you want to be? Because in this moment, today, in this service, before you leave, you can be ready. Are you ready? Three, lift your hand all over this auditorium. You just say, I want to make a commitment to Christ today. Thank you. 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 Thank you in the back. Someone else. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. I'm just leading you in a prayer to help articulate what God is doing in your heart. And I'm going to ask every believer in this room to pray out loud in support of these who lifted their hands today. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with these today?